The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome into the QB Sco Show. This is episode 15, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow my work at bleedinggreennation.com. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. Here to break down with me the quarterbacks in this 2019 quarterback class for the NFL draft is quarterback one in my heart, Mark Schofield. Follow him at Mark Schofield. Mark, how you doing, brother? Mr. Kist, always a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad that you drew that out with that last little pause because I was legitimately yawning, and I was afraid you were going to like come to me and I was going to be like mid-yawn and it was going to be this awkward pause that you'd have to edit out. We're starting out hot. Scorching today, my friend, and speaking of scorching, speaking of warming up, we are going to talk about the Combine, and in a sense, the Combine is the time of perhaps what we could call false hope, right? Mm. You no, know, you see these guys test, you see them measure in, you start talking yourself into a, a wide receiver that runs a four-two-four, and even though his market share wasn't great, he never caught a pass or anything <laughs> like that. You know, you think, look, we can make this work, right? And and so I think it's important to set the framework today by talking about the year of the false spring, mm. and this was back years ago. In the year 281, winter had held the land in its icy grip for almost two years. But the snows were melting, the woods were greening, the days were growing longer, and there were many who believed that the end of winter was high. And so they decided in the realm to have a tournament. And of course, at that tournament, a fateful event took place where a young handsome prince dropped some blue roses in the lap of a young woman who was not of his house. Yes. And of course, I am now referring to the moment where Prince Rhaegar Targaryen dropped some blue roses into the lap of Lyanna Stark. And that set into motion everything that happened before season one, book one, whatever you want to call it. And yes, I'm talking about Game of Thrones because yeah. you and I have both begun our rewatch. Our rewatch has begun. This is literally, listen, if you are listening to the show and you are a Game of Thrones absolute nerd, like, perhaps your two hosts. I cannot recommend enough The World of Ice and Fire, The Untold History of Westeros and the Game of Thrones, which is done by George R. R. Martin and two, I kid you not, bloggers hmm. who started Westeros.org. The, the two of them, coupled with George R.R., R., wrote this 
doing the count on the pages here. It's like a 320 page book that is basically it, it's written like something that one of the grandmeisters would have written about everything in the world of Westeros before the book started. It's like a coffee table book. It's it's massive. Yeah, it's it's legitimately a coffee table book. It is on in my little playroom slash my man corner. I don't even get a man cave. I get a man corner, like the corner of the playroom with the Xbox set up and I have a little like circular kind of coffee table. It has this book and it has like the 800 page like guide to play in Skyrim on it. Like that's how big of a dorklet I legitimately am. It's like you come to this show for expecting athletic takes about quarterbacks and then I like go home at night and like read from this book and like get walked through how to make different kinds of armor in Skyrim. That's incredible. You're the false spring. I mean, what was it? Rickard and uh, Rickard Stark and who else got executed? I mean, pretty much thing? Because Eris the Mad King. I mean, yeah. yeah. He, I mean, he just laid waste <laughs> to everybody because, you know, and what were his last words? Burn them all, burn them all, burn them all as the Kinslayer drew his sword. And We, we could talk about Game of Thrones for literally this whole episode. We could Please talk about Game time. of Thrones instead of Kyler Murray's height and Daniel Jones's hand size, which I know we have to talk talk about because we're going to read in the coming days Daniel Jones being comped to the mountain and I'm going to literally throw myself off the red keep. The first note that I have is in fact about Kyler Murray and we do have to talk about it unfortunately. The internet's freaking out. Big news of the day here with the NFL Combine. It's on the tip of everyone's tongue was the matchup, the battle between a tape measurer and scale versus Oklahoma quarterback Kyler Murray. Here are his long-awaited official measurements. He is a 5'10 and 1 eighths. He is 207 pounds, and his hand size is 9.5 inches, which is really good. I never really saw the hand size as a concern on tape. He does a lot of pumping and always handled the rock pretty well, so it was never a big concern for me, but it's good to see regardless. Uh, Mark, people got weirdly excited over this, which in a way I understand because some people thought he was like 5'8 or some nonsense. Uh, as you can remember, people were constantly trying to figure out his height based on pictures of him standing next to people. Height angle Twitter is some of my favorite Twitter. It's amazing. Like, just wait for the freaking yeah. combine. It's fine. Uh, also, 207 pounds is an obvious bulk up. Uh, he, he's not running, so he can bulk up without crushing his 40 time. I doubt he plays at that weight. He's probably going to be playing around somewhere between 190 pounds and 200 pounds he's still a tiny quarterback i'm not sure how much that matters since small quarterbacks have never really been given a chance and the sample size consists of literally russell wilson and that's it but mark do you have any takeaways from the bombastic weigh-in of kyler murray i think there are a couple of things we can look at one let's look at the the 207 right and that tells us that look if he's given a task of hitting a goal weight he's gonna do it right you know, we saw him yeah. walking down the hallway in Indianapolis, chugging water, making sure he gets that last little bit of water weight before stepping on the scale. Like, okay, <laughs> so he can check that box. It's like the bench. I don't care what guys are going to bench here, but I want you to at least – what it shows me is you're going to be able to prepare for the test, right? And so like our good friend yeah. Owen Reese, he just threw up 30 reps at 225. Puts, puts that on, on the gram yesterday. I was pretty impressed by that. And it shows you that you can take the thing seriously. Yeah. So it's good in that sense that he sort of checked that kind of box. The height thing, I think it is great in the sense that there were probably going to be some general managers that I know it sounds silly, but 5'9 and 7 eighths versus 5'10 and 1 eighth was going to be a world of difference. It's like, you know, when you're buying <laughs> gas and that extra like 99.99, whatever, it sometimes does something to you mentally. And so you just seem more comfortable right. going across the street and spending that extra 99 tenths of a cent when you're driving across the street to pay that 99 tenths of a cent less because we're crazy yeah. people. We're humans. Yeah. We're flawed. 
But if this measurement wildly changes your evaluation of him, you've got to rethink your evaluation process, okay? Because <laughs> yeah. I think for most people, Kyler Murray was quarterback one or quarterback two before he stepped yeah. on the scale. For most reasonable people, that's where he was. If he was like QB4 for you, now you see him coming an extra half an inch taller. Now you're like saying he's going to get drafted first overall. As I've seen some takes unfold on the timeline as we're talking to that extent, you need yeah. to rethink things, okay? If Kyler Murray was going to be drafted first overall – you should have felt that way about him two weeks ago, three weeks ago, five weeks ago, not cared about where he was going to measure in at. Because if he had the ability right. to be valued that highly in the draft, he had that on film. I mean, how often did you see passes get batted yeah. down? How often do you see his height impact his performance? There are times when he gets quick interior pressure where the release point gets a bit walking. Derek Clausen over at Football Outsiders just did a great piece highlighting that little aspect to it. And it's a good one. But it's just a part of it. And interior pressure hurts all quarterbacks. Right. It is overreaction season. It truly is. And we're seeing that right now with him. We saw it yesterday with Jonah Williams. He comes in at, what was it, 33 and 5 eighths inch arms, and now suddenly he's a left guard. What? A guy started 43 <laughs> right. state games yeah. playing tackle for Alabama. Pretty good conference, pretty good school, pretty good yeah. you know competition. And now because he doesn't hit some threshold, yeah. even though he's still above What's average for le- for tackles in the NFL? Now we're going to kick him inside? I mean, we're in overreaction season. It's the year of the false spring, the year of the false hope. You shouldn't reevaluate things dramatically just based on a measurement here. You can certainly use it to refine. And if you see something on hand size, for example, like say Murray had come in. And it's I love the way you framed it because you said you never saw anything on tape of them in terms of hand size. So we didn't have any questions. And he, right. say he had come in at like, strangely enough, seven and a half inch hands like me. Then you'd say, okay, well, you'd go back to the tape and double check it. That's what you should do. If you get something that seems wildly out of step, like Drew Locke comes in at nine inch hands and people are saying that's going to be an issue. And I instantly pointed out, look, his last game, his last regular season game, the day after Thanksgiving against Arkansas, it was cold, it was wet, it was rainy, it was sleeting, still threw the rock pretty well. And so if you look, you hear that number, you go back, you look at weather games and things like that, and you see if it matters. Yeah, and that's one of the processes I wanted to ask you about. Like if a guy comes in with small hands, that's something that you have to check. That's when it's impacted. It's with weather. So if you have bigger hands, you're not really concerned about that. But if you have small hands and then you have bad tape and bad weather conditions, then you start to worry a little bit. I think you would put on the timeline that you have small hands and that when you got into bad weather games, you were basically shot putting the ball. Then that becomes a big red flag. But if you go back and look at the tape and like you said with Drew Locke and everything is perfectly fine with the tape and you don't see any concerns with his hand size impacting anything. I mean, we did this thing with Teddy Bridgewater years ago. Yeah. Like we, we, we've been through this before, but it seems like every time the combine comes up, all of it suddenly matters again. And we have never learned any of the lessons of the past. No, because we're, we're dumb animals and we never learn anything. What's so weird is and your point, too, about Kyler Murray. It's so weird because I see those takes, too, like all of a sudden now. Kyler Murray is a top five lock for everyone when some of the people weren't hyping him up whatsoever, but he comes in just slightly over 5'10", and everyone was losing their minds, and he comes in at a weight that he's not going to play at, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, definitely, it's, this is great. He's still a tiny, tiny quarterback. Like He's still going to be the smallest quarterback in the NFL, which is weird. If you're okay with it, I mean, I'm okay with it. I'm willing to take the ride, buy the ticket, and see what that's like, but uh, I mean, the weirdest part of the day that people aren't really talking about it was the revelation that he would not be throwing at the combine, but... But, and this is so weird, he may 
if he sees dudes out there slinging it and his inner competitiveness activates and he decides to go be a competitor or whatever, look, he does not need to throw against air at the combine. Will people overreact to his pro day throwing against air? Absolutely. The more important part of the process for Kyler will be the interview process. And the signs are there that it may not be his strong suit, considering the way that his agent, a.k.a. his dad, has handled things in the process to this point. With their biggest win being that they fed him two loaves of bread for a a, a day for two months, do you have any concerns with Kyler when it comes to that interview process? Because it's that hidden part that we're not seeing, and it's way more important than him having an extra half an inch on his hands or on his height. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the moment for him now that he's gotten off the scale that matters most now. And it's interesting, you know, this idea that, you know, he's not going to throw unless he feels like his inner competitor wants him to throw. That's one of those try to split the baby too cute by half type of situations because – Just say you're not going to throw. It's totally fine. (laughs) What is the blowback that comes when a quarterback says he's not going to throw? Oh, he doesn't want to compete. So you can't then sort of like, you know, structure your response to that by saying, look, he's still a competitor. So don't worry. Yeah. Like, don't have this fear that he doesn't want to compete because of his inner competitor. That inner fire makes him want to like, you know, mount the shield and you pick up the sword and throw. Like, come on. He's not going to charge the field in Indy while guys are Yeah, I mean, what do you expect? He's going like, to come out of nowhere and like start roundhousing guys or something? Like, come on. <laughs> Like, if you don't want it to throw, if you want it to throw it, it's control. Just say that. And, of mm. course, there will be some that will say, oh, well, they'll, they'll, they'll buy in on this. And they'll say, oh, well, you know. Mm. And, I mean, what again, what's he going to do? Like, hit somebody with a chair? Go WWE <laughs> style on us? I mean, no. And so yeah. what matters is the interview room because he's going to have to sit down across from Tom Coughlin. This is a good way to sort of test this entire process. Well, what is he going to say to Gettleman? What is he going to say to Coughlin? Because these are sort of some of the old school mentality type figures that are still making decisions in the National Football League. So when he sits down in that you know hotel suite and he's got the cameras rolling because they video all these things now and you've got the coaches and everybody there and one of those guys looks you in the eye and says, how can I trust you? What is he going to say then? And, you know, it isn't like we're worried about you off the field. It's are you going to just go play baseball? Are are you really full 100% in on this? Because, you know, you went into the draft. You said you were going to play baseball. Now you've backed out of that. Who's to say you won't do that to us? You know, you didn't compete. You didn't throw. Like, all that (laughs) stuff. Like, he's going to have to answer those questions the right way. And we haven't even got into the fact that then Pat Schumer's going to get up and say, diagram for me, you know, F fly to sprint right, yeah, double choice ninja mm. three scat. And he's going to be like, right. is that a mesh concept? <laughs> no? Oh. Like, like that's the other thing he's going to have to do. And so the meeting rooms are now huge for him. And of course, I'm saying that after saying for like th- three weeks now, the most important place in Indy for him was the, the scale. But, you know, we can all change our takes from time to time. He, he checked the box. So we're done yeah, with he that. he checked and- that box. So now we can move on and overreact about the next thing. Correct. And unfortunately, we can't overreact about the interviews. I'm sure there will be plenty of leaks about how he performed in the interviews and there will be concerns and there will be guys that say that he crushed it. And everybody's got a motive in this thing, Mark. It's always a good time to bring up the greatest red flag of all time when it comes to quarterbacks. And that was Marcus Mariota, who had no red flags, which was a red flag. Right. <laughs> One of the silliest things I've ever heard of this entire process in this industry, which is filled with silliness. Like, let's yeah. face it. We're talking about the underwear Olympics right now, but a guy that had no red flags, man, that was a huge red flag for him. Yeah, because it's he like, was- we want you to be flawed. 
but yeah. not too flawed. You've got to be tastefully flawed. Yeah, unless you're just mentally unstable at the quarterback position, which, I mean, a lot of times is a good thing. You kind of have to be. Right, exactly. I mean, but Mariota was like a a, a cre- like a really quiet guy, and everybody wanted like that edge from him, and they somehow turned that into a negative. Like, you can be well, a quiet leader. There are different types of leaders in this world. It's usually this, the, the, the silent, quiet ones that are the true sociopaths. I mean, come on. Let's be <laughs> honest. Yeah. That get things done. <laughs> yeah, right. We get it done. Sociopaths, we yeah. get it done. Exactly. Boom. There's there's this there's the tagline tag for, for this show. So okay, let's let's talk about some guys here. Maybe we'll bring up uh, hand size and transition into something here for Daniel Jones from from Duke. Guy measures in at 6'5", 221, 9 and three fourths hands. So is Giants general manager Dave Gettleman just dripping over Jones's meaty hooks and something to go along with that too? Is the forty something that matters for some quarterbacks and then doesn't for others? For instance, last year Josh Allen from Wyoming, who was known as a bit of an athlete with the ability to tuck and run and be a weapon that way, he ran four seven five, which is solid for a quarterback. Daniel Jones has four hundred and six rushing attempts in the last three years, seventeen touchdowns. Is there a benchmark for him to hit, or you just, or do you just say? Yeah, he looks pretty athletic on film. That's enough. I don't care if he runs five flat because these quarterbacks aren't really training for the 40 anyway. Yeah, I'm more in the latter category. Like, I I don't yeah. get overworked about a quarterback's 40-yard time. I mean, the most interesting 40-yard time out of all these quarterbacks might be Nick Fitzgerald because he might not be playing quarterback that much longer. I mean, he'd right. be a position switch type guy. I mean, for you know the athletic quarterbacks that might need to make some things happen, that might need to be athletic and create a bit with their legs – I mean, you'd like to see him under like five, you know, get yeah. to that four, eight range. You're probably going to be okay with it. But if your quarterback is going to be running 40 yards at a stretch, you need to rethink how you handle in the offense or the protections or something about what's going down. Okay. You might be the, you might be the Buffalo. Bills. You might be the yeah, Buffalo that's a problem. Bills. So, you know, what you really want, I mean, if you want to like focus on an area of the 40, that first 10 yard split, because yeah. that's going to show if he can get to the edge or not. Right. You know, if he's got yeah. the ability to sort of turn the corner and at least get you like five, six yards and then duck out of bounds or something like that. So you're turning like what might have been third and eight into third and two. Like that's the kind of stuff that matters over the course of a game, a season, a career. And so focus sort of on that area. It's the how they play the position. Like Dwayne Haskins, he could run it at five flat. He could run it at 10 flat. I don't care. Like, because yeah. that's not his game. Like the way Correct. he's going to have to be effective in the NFL is. Rosen-esque, Brady-esque, not outrunning anybody, but moving around in the pocket. For a guy like Jones, you know, seeing his ability to sort of get to the edge and get you some yardage and escape from time to time, that might matter a little bit more. But if he comes out and runs a four or five, I'm not losing my mind except to say maybe we should move him to tight end. Which some people said about Josh Allen. Uh, All right. Jeff Risden called him tight end four, I think. <laughs> well, he's, I mean, he was wrong. He's a running back. I mean, at the very least, he's a yeah, back. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so when we come back here on the QB Sco Show, we're going to talk about on-field drills and what they mean, what to look for, and what Dwayne Haskins can do to elevate his stock back here on Bleeding Green Nation in just a second. And we are back here on the QB Sco Show, brought to you by Bleeding Green Nation and SB Nation. Mark, as far as what we're going to see on the television for these quarterbacks, when you watch the on-field drills and you're seeing these guys drop back, some of whom have never taken an under center snap or do it very rarely in college, what are you looking for from a technique standpoint? Uh, who do you expect to show well on the field in Indy? 
I mean, I, I I do want to see some of the footwork stuff. I want to see how comfortable, how fluid, how well they move, you know, simulating that, you know, extraction from center and things like that, moving around a little bit in the park and things like that. You know, I want to see if they're on the balls of their feet, the quick steps, the short steps and stuff like those moments, those set and reset instances where they might get asked to sort of move, reset and throw. I want to see not perfection, but I want to see development from some of these guys, like a Drew Locke. Let's take him, for example. We talked about him a bit. And his footwork was kind of a mess at Missouri. I yeah. mean, he's making you know fadeaway throws on nine routes. He doesn't seem settled at all. Sometimes he never even moves his feet. It seemed like a work in progress, like he was trended in the right direction, down in Mobile. So I want to see him continue that path, continue that sort of you know growth and development. You know, For some of the more refined passers, your Ryan Finley's, your Brett Rippins, like I want to see, is the footwork still crisp? Are the mechanics still clean? You know, There are some guys like Dwayne Haskins that need to show a lot of growth in that area. I want to see, similar to what we were talking about with Locke, them trended in the right direction. You're not getting sort of a finished product with most of these guys. They're going to need some work. And so I want to see that that process has begun. Thankfully, we don't have a situation with, I don't think too many of these guys where you have sort of the Blake Bortles, Tim Tebow situation where the mechanics are just completely a mess and it might be a tear down and rebuild situation. You're trying to move them you know, into you know, a piece of modern artillery from a trebuchet. There's a long way to go for Blake Bortles. And as we can see, he never became the modern artillery. He was stuck in that, you know, when you get to that end of civilization and there's still like that one civilization that, you know, you've got jets and stuff like that and they're still coming at you with trebuchets and catapults and you're like, Blake, you know, come on, man, get with the times. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. kind of the Blake Bortles yeah. situation. And, and so you want to see growth from these guys. The ball placement and stuff like that, it matters to an extent. They're going to be thrown to new guys. They're going to be thrown to guys they haven't thrown with before. And so you will see some right. passes – missed and things like that. So it's going to be hard to sit there and sort of say, oh, well, he missed this throw. Well, maybe he didn't, you know? And so the placement and stuff doesn't matter, but I do want to see the ball come out of their hands. Of course, we all know what's coming two weeks from now is radar gun day. And if you thought hand size Twitter day was bad, Woo! radar gun day is worse, man. <laughs> I mean, I remember where I was in my house, in my kitchen, leaning against the oven when the Deshaun Watson 49 miles per hour dropped. And it was like World War Three had just started on the timeline. I mean, forget golf versus Wentz. You know, that was a full-on, like, Battle of the Blackwater type moment where yeah, that was a day. you knew where you were when that happened. Yeah, and I so that, that day is coming, and there is going to be – now, all of these quarterbacks, to say for, I'd say, Jake Browden, all of the guys that are going to be there, I don't have concerns from an arm talent perspective on film because I think they all sort of check those boxes. They seem to meet the threshold. But we know one or a couple of them are going to come in sub-56, which people seem to want to see, sub-52, and it's going to cause another week or two of discussion. And you can just imagine the aftermath of the overreactions we're seeing right now if out of nowhere, Kyler Murray, who, again, I preface it by saying this, I have no velocity concerns with him. There are right. times where he needs to dial it up that he does have a little bit of a dip and loop. Okay, that's fine. It works for him. If he comes in at like a 49, like Deshaun, everybody's going to go crazy and then overreact in the other direction. Oh, you can't draft a quarterback that can't even hit 50 on the, on the radar gun first overall. you know, He's going to slide to the third round now. You can't yeah. draft an undersized quarterback with no velocity. As with all of these things, this is a big windup to just say this. When you see things at the combine, whether it's measurements, drills, whatever, take the information as a data point, 
and go back to the film and rewatch it. Because if a quarterback comes in with a low number on the gun, go back. Does he have issues with velocity? Are there windows that he cannot hit? Are there throws that he has to put much more touch on than other guys in this class? And maybe that's the case. And if so, it might get to a scheme limitation situation. It's not a full-on bar to play in the position. Same thing with height, hand size, 40, whatever. You get these data points in, you go back to the film, and then you refine a little bit. And so maybe a quarterback you thought was pretty scheme diverse. Like, let's take Brett Rippon, a guy I like. I think he's scheme diverse. But if he comes in and doesn't hit a good number on the gun, you go back and maybe you see instances like on some throws where he has to put a little bit more air under them and you'd say, okay, maybe he's not a scheme diverse quarterback. Maybe it's more limited to West Coast, Air Raid, Aaron Perkins type of system. Bruce Arians hasn't drafted him. And so that's what we should all be doing with all of this stuff. It's so much easier to put out, you know, type in Kyler Murray, 510 makes him number one overall, send tweet. And just bask in the glow. It's easy for all of us to do that. It's much more harder and much more nuanced to sort of take in those data points and sort of refine the evaluation and then make a full-on determination on this player. But that's what the teams are doing. So if we're trying to do it right, that's what we should be doing here. Oh, the ebbs and flows of draft season. Oh, it's so much fun. It's incredible. It's so much fun. Oh, man. A week ago, certain people didn't have a single first-round grade on these quarterbacks, and now everyone's Now we've got five. Now we've got five. (laughs) I mean, I just I just saw a mock that had four. We're we're getting closer to the proverbial five quarterbacks in the first round that we saw last year. I mean, by the end of this, we're going to be talking about. Look, you know, I mean, Jake Brown and ran a pro style offense, did some stuff from under center, and so kill me. Yeah, there we are. So, speaking of the ebbs and flows, last question for you, Mark: What can Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State do at the combine to stave off the now unstoppable train, the hype train that is Kyler Murray's hype? Unfortunately for Haskins, I'm not sure there's anything he can do at the combine to sort of stave that off because the biggest area of concern that I and others and most people seem to have with him is how he handles pressure. Right. It's hard to sort of demonstrate and simulate that in a controlled environment as the combine, his pro day. He can sit down at the whiteboard and say, look, these are the things that you got to do protection-wise, and this is how I'm going to have to do it. He can look Dave Gettleman in the eye and say, I know I've got to emulate my game after a Tom Brady and a Josh Rosen and use my feet to create space. But until he takes his first drop in a preseason game and faces a blitz, you're not going to know if he's getting better in that area. Now, From what I've seen from him on film, I think he's trending generally in the right direction. You see him learn over the course of a season, sometimes in the course of a game, his game against Penn State, that he's trending in the right direction, but I'm not so sure. And if you're sort of wavering on Haskins right now, I would invite you to go back and watch Penn State. I would invite you to go back and watch Purdue. Yeah, he throws it 73 times against Purdue. It's going to take you a day or two to get through that behemoth. But those were games where he got tested. That Penn State game, I was watching it live. I've watched that game probably six times by now. I was watching it live. By halftime, I thought they were going to pull him. That's how bad he was early in that game. They didn't. He won. And in the second half, you see him start to climb the pocket, start to handle the pressure a little bit better. I always make a point of it, and I kind of want to close with this. We talked in the beginning about hand size and weather and things like that. There are four games that I always want to make sure to watch. I want to make sure I watch a home game and a road game. Number one, I want to watch a weather game and I want to watch a Mm. loss Mm. because I want to see these quarterbacks handle adversity. And this comes from my own misgivings and failures as a quarterback. But when you get tested, when you get those moments where you start to wonder, are they going to pull me? That's when you find out who you are as a quarterback, as a player, as a person, as an athlete. And for Haskins, that game against Penn State, where I thought legitimately Urban Meyer was going to have to go to the bullpen, 
Yeah. To see him then come back and win, that tells me a lot about who he is. To see him against Purdue, a game they were down by two scores and a lot, a little bit of snow, cold, you know, wasn't the best conditions. He's out there in the fourth quarter making adjustments on a fourth and eight, sliding the protection, headed in there, taking a shot on a fourth and eight to throw a band-aid post run against the cover zero look for a touchdown late in the fourth quarter of that game. That told me, like, similar to that Penn State game about who he is as a quarterback. And so, unfortunately for him, he's not going to be able to replicate those moments in Indianapolis. But I think what he needs to do is just tell people that, look, I know where I'm, I'm trending in the right direction. I know I need to work on this. Go back at the film. You see me working on it. That's probably the best you could do because you're not going to get, you know, John Gruden with some pool noodles chasing him down trying to simulate pressure at Indianapolis. You so stole my bit. I, I, I know, but – Maybe they should do that. Maybe they should just let, you know, get Gruden all hopped up on some sugar and some Coronas and just get, let them loose out there. Let me learn more about this quarterback than anything else, I think. But but that's it for Haskins. I mean, that's his issue. And, and we've talked about this offline with our good friends, Bryce and Bryce Rossler, Nick Folletto, and Joey Ferriola about, you know, the QB1 versus QB2, Murray and Haskins. And I don't want to rehash that battle right now because <laughs> right. it'd be like, you know, <laughs> the tournament where suddenly everything gets thrown into chaos again that we started the show with, sword. <laughs> you know, like Azar Azar with the flame sword. You're right. But that's going to be the issue with Haskins. Can he handle pressure? He can't answer that. I think full on an indie, you know, but that's going to be the thing that makes or breaks his career. You totally, you totally took my bit. Cause I was going to go with the pool builder route. That's, that's a perfect simulation for pressure. That's why this show <laughs> works. Yeah. I mean, what simulates, you know, having the Joey Boses of the world come after you more than a five foot 10 inch man that's chasing you with a pink <laughs> pool noodle. He's so intense. I'm hard pressed <laughs> to find a better substitute. I can't think of one. We'll try to think of one on the break between this show and the next show. And we'll, we'll see what we come up with some more pressure pack situations we can put these quarterbacks in so they can prove themselves. You know what would be a pressure pack situation for some of these guys? Sit down across from George R. R. Martin and tell him to finish the books. Yeah, get an explanation. Yeah. Get an explanation. If one this, of these guys does that, immediately quarterback one. I don't even care if it's Jake Browning. If Jake <laughs> Browning gets George R. R. to finish the books faster, he's quarterback one in my mind. It'll be the one thing Marcus Mariota can finally do to prove <laughs> that he is a leader. <laughs> <laughs> so that is going to do it for the QB Sco Show number 15 here on Bleeding Green Nation. Uh, up next this week, we'll have BGN Radio coming up with John Stolness and Brandon Lee Galton. Guys, we are so close, so close to 800 reviews on Apple Podcasts. Make sure that you've, if you haven't done that yet, go ahead and get in those five-star ratings. Only five-star ratings are accepted because we uh, it hurts our ego when, when that doesn't happen. So please go ahead and do that. This has been the QB Sco Show number 15. Thank you for listening.